0: If you have your Bibles I'd like to invite you to turn to Luke's Gospel in the third chapter and I'm going to be reading for you the first nine verses. So Luke chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. I know you were just standing but I'd like you to stand again as we read from our Lord's Word. Luke chapter 3 begin with verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zachariah, in the desert. He went to all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him, every valley shall be filled in every mountain and hill made low the crooked road shall become straight the rough ways smooth and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Would you speak to us through your word, Lord, and allow us to obey. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to understand. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we find ourselves in our second service of Advent. I don't know about you, but for me, the Christmas feeling is beginning to set in. Christmas lights are beginning to appear on houses around our neighborhoods. Some of us have already set up our Christmas trees in our homes. We've had our NBC Christmas banquet this last Saturday. The stores are getting busier and busier with bargain-seeking shoppers. Christmas is in the air. Well, as the calendar edges closer and closer to that greatly anticipated day of December 25. I think that we should begin to make our way towards Bethlehem. That is where we're headed. That is the place of distinction during these days. We need to start looking for the little town of Bethlehem. The thought of Bethlehem conjures up so many thoughts for us. What do you think about when you think of Bethlehem? Well, during Christmas time, most of us think of a small, quaint village. We think of soft, warm music playing in the background. We think of a cozy, comfortable little corner in a clean, cheery, and quiet stable where we can see a man, a woman, and a little infant who don't seem to have a care in the world. How in the world did we come up with that image? My grandfather was a carpenter in Oregon, and on the side, he kept about 20 head of cattle for milking. He kept his cattle in a barn which he had built himself. As children, my brothers and I played all over that barn. And I can tell you for sure that there were no comfortable little corners in that barn which were clean, cheery, and quiet. At least not when I and my brothers were playing in there. But regardless of what we think about when we think of Bethlehem, whether our conceptions are realistic or falsely utopian, the fact of the matter is this with Christmas coming closer and closer, it is time for us to start looking for Bethlehem. The road to Bethlehem at Christmas time is a little different than you might expect. The path to Bethlehem has a few turns and detours which are sometimes forgotten by people in their hurry to make it to Christmas day. But any way you try to get at it, the road to Bethlehem is always the same road. For you see, you can ask anyone in the New Testament how you get to Bethlehem and they will say the very same thing. Bethlehem, you go out to the desert, you keep going straight until you get to the River Jordan. You'll see a man out there standing waist-deep in the water baptizing people. That's John the Baptist. If you want to go to Bethlehem you really must start there. When you look into the New Testament they all say the same thing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of the Gospels say this very same thing. If you want to go to Bethlehem, if you want to see what's happened, if you want to understand what all the fuss of Christmas is really all about, then you go out to the desert, you keep going straight until you hit the River Jordan, there you'll find a man standing waist-deep in the water. It's John. You've got to start there. To be honest with you, I really get kind of frustrated by this whole situation. You see, here I am, I go to the Bible to find out what Christmas means and I run smack dab into John the Baptist. You just can't get away from it. If you want to find directions to Bethlehem, if you want to know how to get to Bethlehem from here, from where we are now, the answer is always the same. Go out to the desert, keep going straight until you hit the River Jordan, in the middle of the water you'll find a man by the name of John. Ask him. Ask him. Ask John how you get to Bethlehem. That's what he's there for. Well I don't know about you, but I don't want to ask John. I don't want to ask John. I don't want to ask him how to get to Bethlehem. You see, every time I run into John in the New Testament he's just a little bit more pushy than what I really like. He always seems to be just a little bit too much in my way. I mean, I look at the good news of the Gospel and John stands in my way. I look for a comforting passage about Christmas for the second service of Advent and John sticks his big hairy head right in my face. (laughs) Two of the Gospels don't even mention the incredible events surrounding the birth of Christ at all, but they mention John. Even the Jewish historian Josephus, who doesn't hardly say anything about Jesus at all he talks about John. To be really honest with you today, I really don't want to ask John how to get to Bethlehem because I know already what he's going to say to me. You see, John is a prophet and I'm not sure how we got this idea but somewhere along the line we got the conception that prophets are only really concerned about the future. We use the word prophet in this way in English all the time. Whenever we think of a prophet we think of somebody who predicts what's going to happen in the future. Of course this conception isn't completely wrong. We do have prophets who predict the future from time to time. This is actually the part of prophets that we usually enjoy. We think it's alright when they predict the future. Personally I don't mind it at all when a prophet talks about the future. Usually it's rather interesting to hear what they have to say. And it certainly gives us something to argue and talk about and sometimes we can even make changes to prepare for those future things but what is hard to take about the prophets is what they have to say about the present prophets have things to say about this day just as much as they have to say about days to come and then they end up saying things like why don't you practice what you preach or why do you act and talk one way among your Christian friends, but you act and talk in a completely different way among people who aren't Christians? Prophets always seem to remind you of things that you already know, but don't want to be reminded of. They never say the right thing. For you see, the right thing is what the right people want to hear. Well, prophets are always going to the right people and saying the wrong things they're always saying things that the right people don't want to hear they always do that every one of them they all did that and they all paid the consequences for it too well John the Baptist is no exception I mean look at what he says in verses 7 and 8 of our passage here can you imagine my shock here I am minding my own business reading the sweet story of Jesus birth in the gospel of Luke and John suddenly jumps up and yells in my face, You brood of vipers! You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Don't just talk about repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Well, Merry Christmas to you too, John. <laughs> I'm sure you heard what John did later. These prophets, will they never learn. John went to Herod. Not the one who's ruling at the beginning of our story. That one was Herod the Great. But John goes to Herod Antipas, who is Herod the Great's son. Well, Herod Antipas was guilty of murder, he was guilty of incest, and only the Lord Himself knows what else he was guilty of. At the time that John went to talk to Herod, you have to think about this he was married to his niece, who was also his sister in law. Now, with a brother like that, who needs enemies, right? In the first century, most Jews had this strange idea that morality was serious business. That would be a unique idea for our society, wouldn't it? What's more, most of the Jews believed that morality was a corporate concern. In other words, they believed that immoral behavior had a negative effect upon all of society they knew nothing about this well what I do is my own business as long as it doesn't hurt anyone type of thinking they believed that everything that you and I do either hurts or helps somebody else they believed that society is not made of little islands little autonomous individuals going around doing their own thing but that everyone was interconnected society was like a body a human body and so if you have an infection somewhere within your society the whole body of the society is going to suffer from it and if you're the king or if you're the leader of that society that's sort of like being the head or the heart of the body politic the king not, might not be any better or any worse than anyone else but his sin or his virtue has a greater effect on the society than anybody else's that's true not only of, you know, of kings but of all leaders And so the prophets are always going to the leaders. It's kind of a shortcut way of reforming the whole society. You start at the top. Well on paper this strategy sounds really good doesn't it? I mean it seems to be a pretty effective means of going about this. But think about this for a moment. Why don't you go to the head of the state? Why don't you go to the Adolf Hitler or the Saddam Hussein of the society and tell him what he doesn't want to hear? Nobody in their right mind is going to go to a king who is responsible for their status, for their money, for their life themselves, and then tell them what they, don't, what they don't want to hear. And so, of course, the prophets got that job. God sent them to do that. And so here we have good old hairy and grasshopper eating John. John goes to Herod, and he says to Herod, King Herod, you make me sick. As a matter of fact, Herod, you're making our entire nation sick, spiritually sick. You, Herod, are an embarrassment to our nation. You, Herod, are a perverted and twisted man. You, Herod, are an affront to God. Well, Herod only had only one thing to say to John. You, John, are under arrest. <laughs> and so he locked him up in the castle of Machaerus Until one night, Herod's stepdaughter, who's also his grandniece, said she wanted John's head on a platter, and she got it. Do you know what happened when Jesus heard about John? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, there is no man born of woman greater than John. Wow. There's no higher praise than that, except, except maybe what John said about Jesus. John said, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. There's a strong connection between John and Jesus. They're closely connected to one another. And so if you want to know how to get to Bethlehem from where you are now, then go out to the desert, keep going straight until you hit the River Jordan, in the middle of the water you'll see a man standing there. That's John. He knows who Jesus is. He knows who Jesus is. Go see John. But I don't want to because John is a prophet and I know what John is going to say. I don't want to talk to John. Well this is our second service in the season of Advent. The season of preparation for Christmas. Wow just think of it we're only about two weeks away from Christmas from that journey to Bethlehem you know we're almost there and so we might as well just get it over with we might as well go on out there and see John now to find John it's not too hard you just go out to desert you keep going straight until you hit the River Jordan and there you'll find him you'll see him standing waist-deep in the water baptizing people and he says to us exactly what I was afraid that he was going to say. He says what he's been saying for 2,000 years. John looks us straight in the eye and he says, hey you, repent! Repent! Practice what you preach. Live up to the standards and ideals you believe in. Turn around and get back on track. That's what repentance means. Repent! John doesn't do any of this thing of, well, just kind of feel bad about what you've done. And if you feel bad, it's all right. He doesn't talk about remorse. No. John tells us to turn around and to go in the other direction. Repent means that you have to start doing something good instead of something bad. Repent means you need to start practicing what we preach. Repent means that we allow God to completely transform our lives. And that's what John says every Advent. Every year, and this year, in this second service in the season of Advent, we come up to it again. Repent. You know, I've preached quite a few sermons on John the Baptist. I've studied John the Baptist in Sunday school classes, and I've even spoken about John the Baptist in classes I've taught here on campus. And in looking over this sermon, there's just a question that I've just been dying to ask. I mean I just have to ask John. And so I've decided that finally, this year, I'm going to ask John this question. I mean, it's been a question that's been bothering me for so so much time now. John, why do you keep talking about repentance at Christmas time? Can't you get into the Christmas spirit? No wonder we never see your face on any of the Christmas cards. <laughs> You're in danger of becoming the Grinch that stole Christmas. This is supposed to be a happy time. This is not a time to be talking about repentance. Well, old John's head snapped to attention and he looks me straight in the eye. I'm afraid that he almost drowned that guy he was baptizing. <laughs> then John, Lee, John slowly climbs out of the water. He's been in there so long that his legs are starting to turn kind of a bluish color. He says, hey, you fixing to go to Bethlehem? Yes, that's where we're headed. In about two weeks, we'll be there. Well, maybe you don't understand what happened there, he says. I'll admit, it wasn't what I expected either. I expected Messiah to come in glory with a sword. To separate the righteous from the sinners. But that didn't happen. Instead, he came in humility as a baby. He didn't come with a bang. He came with a whimper. He didn't come in force to defeat the kingdom of Herod. He came and loved to win the hearts of believers. So what you are faced with is what people have been faced with ever since I came out here and started baptizing. You are faced with a choice. Which king are you going to give your loyalty to? Herod or Jesus? The kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God? Then John asked me, by the way, why are you going to Bethlehem? Are you going to Bethlehem to meet a baby Jesus and get him to bless you and your world just the way it is? Or are you going to Bethlehem to meet a Savior and let him change you so that you can change the world? You see, that's the very reason why I didn't want to talk to John in the first place. I knew exactly what he was going to say and I didn't want to hear it. I wanted to hear that because God came into the world the way it is, Now, the way it is is all right with God, and we can just leave it that way. And John won't let me believe that. So often we find ourselves thinking, well, if I'm going to survive, if I'm going to make it in this world, then I've just got to be realistic. Herod might be wrong, but the Herods rule the world, not Jesus. That's what we usually think. But John the Baptist won't let us get away with it. He won't do it. He says, no, the kingdom of God is here. It's here. Jesus brought it. It's not as I expected it to be, but it's here. And the one who follows me is greater than I am, whose thongs I am not worthy to untie. He's the Messiah. So the kingdom is here. With that, John turns his back to me and he shuffles back to the water. It's here, all right, he says. And he turns back and looks at me over his shoulder. And deep down inside, he says, you know it's here. You know it's here. The problem is, if it's here, the only way you're going to know for sure is to choose it. And when you're ready, when you're ready to prepare yourself for Christmas, I'll be here in the water waiting for you. And with that he braces his bony feet against the river bottom and he cries out once again, REPENT, FOR THE kingdom OF GOD IS HERE. John is there to remind us that Advent is a time of repentance. John is there to remind us that the only proper preparation for Christmas is to do what Jesus taught and it all begins with repentance if we're alienated from somebody this is the time to repent and to seek reconciliation if we have been self-righteous now is the time for us to repent and to recognize that righteousness only comes through christ jesus by faith if we have been selfish and self-seeking now is the time for us to repent and to truly follow jesus who came not to be served but to serve if we have been dishonest always trying to twist the truth to our own selfish advantage now is the time for us to repent and allow our lives to be conformed to Jesus the way the truth and the life if we have assumed that we're going to be judged by our own inherent goodness or by our ability to avoid evil now is the time for us to repent and to recognize that we're going to be judged by our repentance and our faith in Christ Jesus alone You see, John is there to remind us of these things. He is there to remind us that there are moral consequences to Christmas. It wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't make believe. The Messiah was born at Christmas. The seed of God's ultimate plan of salvation has been planted. And the kingdom of God is now here. There are now two kingdoms here. Which one has your loyalty? Which one will you choose? The road to Bethlehem always bends its way to John. Regardless of how you try to walk it, you can't avoid the cold and wet man standing in the middle of the river. The directions to Bethlehem are always the same. They take us into the desert to hear a man who has truly discovered how we need to prepare ourselves for Christmas. Repent, for the King of God is here the announcement of Christmas is a proclamation of repentance. What kinds of preparations have you made for Christmas this year? What have you done to celebrate the coming of Jesus? Isn't it ironic that we can hang a few lights in a Christmas tree and think that we're ready when the true call to Christmas is to repent because the kingdom of God is here? Well, this Christmas John the Baptist will be waiting for you. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. Repent of your sins and celebrate the real Christmas. Amen. Heavenly Father, would you help us to prepare for Christmas? And help us to realize that preparation for Christmas isn't to sing a few songs or to put up some lights or a Christmas tree. But the true preparation for Christmas happens right inside of our hearts. As we bow down, as we confess our sins and repent of our sins. Lord, that's what Christmas is about. Father, I thank you for John the Baptist, who won't won't let us be lulled away into some type of false understanding of Christmas. But He reminds us that the baby Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that through His life, through His death, through His resurrection, He has come so that we can have salvation and victory over sin and death. Lord, prepare our hearts for that Christmas, for that Christ, for that, for that salvation. Father, we go from this place with Your Holy Spirit who prepares our heart to receive the Christ and we go in your peace and in your joy these things we pray in Jesus name amen Lord bless you